Ladies and gentlemen, please rise for the national anthem as sung by Aretha Franklin. Franklin, 1964. Hooray, hurrah. Once again, the smartest man in the world, Proofcast, takes to the ether. On the wings of the angels in the second month of the revolution, we're here at the Porpoise of Fruititude, located somewhere in your mind. <laughs> John Lewis is swirling in the heavens, but this is what he had to say about the music of Aretha Franklin. Here's Jennifer. Hi. We, we lost John Lewis, the conscience of our nation. Um, last year, he gave an interview with Jamil Smith and Rolling Stone, and he said that sometimes we'd be fresh from jail and you had a quarter, you go to a little juke joint. They had a place outside of Tuskegee, a little club and people could go there and get something to drink and dance. You get beat up and you're taken to a hospital. You get out and you go listen to Aretha. It was soothing. I really believe this music was like a bridge. Holy moly, you get beat up and you go to a hospital. Let Aretha inspire and soothe this once again. That might have been a song that he heard in 1965. No question. Uh, John Lewis is irreplaceable uh, in the landscape of America, but I assure you he walks amongst us and uh, is uh, looking over us at every moment, especially now, because this was something that he spent his entire life dedicated to for equality. I believe he said at the March for Jobs and Freedom, we want freedom and we want it now. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's what people are demanding, right? This He was the second. youngest speaker. Uh, and uh, Yes, he was. And the last one standing. But like I say, um, he can uh, inspire all of us. Uh, I'm not particularly motivated sometimes. And uh, Jennifer will say to me, hmm, what would John Lewis do? And you're like, okay, all right. Um, some free stuff before we get started that, of course, celebrates uh, so much that's going on. Monty Irvin, someone tweeted me this the other day, Jennifer. Um, Monty Irvin was a, a star in the Negro Leagues. and That's Irwin's ball. Right. Uh, there's a song, I almost played that, but I know if you think it was too. Uh, there's a song by the Trineers about Willie Mays when he was first a star. And at the beginning, uh, they go, hey, Willie, whose ball was that? And he says... Uh, where was it? And he's, they go, uh, right field. And he goes, right field, that's Irvin's ball. Uh, I saw Monty Irvin speak at, at Giants game uh, when they had um, Willie Mays Day, of course, in the 80s. And in, in any case, he played for the New York Eagles. He served with great distinction in the um, armed forces. And then he got picked up by the New York Giants after the war and was one of the first black players in ball. And um, uh, someone sent me this. It's from the... Um, WNYC um, archives and it's a live interview with him from a few years ago where he just talks about Negro League Baseball. I'm not going to play it but uh, I'm going to hip you to it. I love that the, you can tell it's a, a university. And now here is the editor of the Almanac, Walter James Miller. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he speaks to Monty Irvin and it's um, just brilliant. My only wish is it's at WNYC.org story and if you type in Monty Irvin and recollections of the Negro Leagues. It looks fantastic. Also, Movie Silently uh, is, a, is a Twitter site, 
uh, and her, her handle is Movie Silently. And she goes through the history of silent movies all the time. But last week, Jennifer hit me to something that she'd put in, um, which was a thread of uh, free and legal streaming resources of uh, silent movie sites all over the world. I yes, don't know how you're lovely. Cinematheque Francaise. Uh, she even she was watching a, a Finnish film the other day with Lynx, um, Chile, uh, Argentina. It's wonderful. Irish Film Institute Canada. The groovy thing about silent films, of course, are uh, if the titles are in Accessible. English. Accessible. Yeah. And Costa Rica has one. Uh, and the European Film Gateway has titles from all over the continent. That's europeanfilmgateway.eu. Uh, so there's a load of, of free stuff out there that's wildly entertaining that you can um, amuse yourself with as the days go past. I hope you guys are coping. Um, I know we are. Uh, I'm not coping as well as some people in the house, but... Uh, Cough. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> I think you have to be... Uh, the first thing is to get through this and survive. And the second thing is to try to keep some semblance of well, mind I, and body and soul about yourself. And the third thing is if you can accomplish something groovy, if you can't, you've got to let yourself off the hook. I, I think that for me, it's if if you have the wherewithal, if, you, if you're entitled, it's to think about others. I'm sitting right here. <laughs> and I'm thinking about myself right now. Uh, uh, Kulsa Care Foundation in Pacoima, which is in North LA, has served almost 200,000 meals to low-income families, homeless shelters, and people with disabilities. They dispense v vegetarian free hot meals, and it's called Seek Community Lending a Helping Hand. Will you spell that out a little bit just because... Uh, S-I-K-H. Yeah community lending a helping hand it's really it's really lovely so they're all vegetarian seeks mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the food looks screaming yeah, on looks, the website it looks, it looks like delicious curries and stuff yeah uh there was also a, a bay area uh restaurant uh coming together to to serve the the community and uh mavis staples had uh for her birthday do you have that queued up? About? I don't, but I can look it up. <laughs> she she was also uh, raising money for a charity, and it's so important because food banks are really tapped right now. Oh my god! And it, it's vital that we all come together. When you were talking about the Sikh and there's the Hollywood Food Coalition that we've talked right. about before. The Sikh um, community that's in Pacoima. Who they're feeding the elderly up there? They're they're fe feeding homeless shelters, low-income families and people with disabilities. And they're you know, they're Only not in Pacoima or all around the area. Well, I think they go to the oh, local yeah. in, places right, in which has of anyone who's seen it by well, but not Bunny just cartoon. there, but I mean, you know, LA is vast. Tell me about it. And and so in northern Los Angeles, right. you know, maybe an hour away from where we are. They're they're looking after these people, and it, it's really wonderful. I was watching the the video about them, um, which is at the CalsaFoundation.org, and you know they have a they have it down, and they decided uh, four or five months ago that they were going to do this, mm -hmm. and they've committed to it every week, which is oh, awesome. so important. All people who can't get food on their own. Mavis Stables' 80th birthday celebration will be broadcast as a benefit concert. It's Friday, July 31st at fans.com, F-A-N-S.com, at 8.30 Eastern, which means 5.30 Holly Rock Swingin'. It's called Mavis 80, and it's got a groovy lineup. Um, fantastically trombone shorty from New Orleans. <laughs> uh, ben Harper, Brandy Carlisle. 
Bret Harper gets all the gigs. He was on Ringo's 80th birthday. What does he just go around now doing Superstars' 80th birthdays? Well, you know, we're the lig, so I wouldn't, you know, right? Uh, criticize let's see him. Jason Isbell, uh, Grace Potter, Lucius M. Ward, Joe Henry. Uh, last year's concert celebrating um, maybe Staples will be broadcast online at the end of the month. It was last year. Um, as a benefit for the Newport Festivals Foundation. Um, it'll be live streamed on July 31st, as I say, 8.30 p.m. Fans.com. Uh, you, you have to buy a ticket. The proceeds go to support uh, the educational initiatives. Uh, Newport Jazz Festival is uh, such an important part of uh, American history, not just jazz, but uh, Bob Dylan famously played there. The Staples Singers famously played there. Um, every blues, so. blues artist, Otis Redding. I mean, Newport Jazz Festival is a, a swinging affair. This is the um, food one you were talking about, I think, in the Bay Area. Uh, Give Where You Live, the food yes. drive. It's uh, Feeding America. There's um, loads of, uh, of links here. It's at abcnews.com. Uh, this is the Bay Area abcnews.com. It has Alameda right, County. ABC 7. ABC 7, thank you. It has Alameda County Community Food Bank, Food Bank of Contra Costa and Solano, Redwood Empire, which is a beautiful part of California, um, the second harvest of Silicon Valley. And yes, there's poverty in Silicon Valley. Even though Zuckerberg was wearing clown makeup riding a motorized surfboard tonight when he should be doing so many other things like, you know, carving his number into a wall. Uh, and then the ASF uh, Marin Food Bank is listed on there. ABC7, um, the society Give Where You Live. That's for our Bay Area friends. You know that all the counties had to close down back there last week, um, yes. especially um, Alameda County and Contra Costa. San Mateo's been the last, where I'm from, San Carlos, had kind of had it a little bit under control, and they, they're kind of having to do uh, it too. Can we but... just say the world doesn't have it under oh, control? Oh, no, no, it's spiraling. So we're all in, we're all in this together. You know, yeah, we have to help one another. We all have to, you know, mask up, and it's the least we can do. And uh, I've got a series of hilarious animal print masks now. I've got my Biden mask, um, and you know, it's not. A, a friend of mine said that she's she's always chilly, even here in LA, and she says she's loving her mask. Right. It's keeping it's keeping your nose warm, even though it's eighty degrees here in LA. No, you have. But to it's not uncomfortable. I mean, we were marching around. We did a little walk today. Um, it's the least people can do. You know, wash your hands, wear a mask. Well, I got asked on a podcast last week if you were rule the world, what would your number one rule be? And I said, don't be a dick. And um, when you see people not wearing a mask, it's you know you have to take everyone into account on this. The people we run into, you don't know what their situation is. They might be um, uh, compromised in some way. They might be going home to someone oh, who's compromised. Where, yeah, yeah, wearing they might the be, mask. They might see a third party that's compromised. They might you run look into after them. Life. Well, the people who deliver stuff to you, the people who serve you in restaurants, the people who, you know, uh, work in the grocery stores, everybody deserves I, respect. I, I can't believe people going out to eat and not wearing a mask. Really? This is Hollywood. Well, I mean, it's just—it's just shocking to me that that people are just so. These are people who used to send their nannies when they were on vacation at the Four Seasons in Hawaii down to the down to the pool early in the morning so they could claim a place by the pool. They're right. the same people right. who are making people wear plastic masks while they dine outside here in Los Angeles. Although we did today uh, on our rounds, and yesterday we saw people masked up mm. acting. Uh, you know, appropriately. Uh, Josie Huang is a reporter here in Los Angeles, and um, 
She reports for the NPR station KPCC and on the LAist. If you live in the Los Angeles, or even if you don't, you might want to read the LAist because they have a list of everything that's going on every day. What do you mean by that? I mean, uh, every big community meetings, every city hall a conference call, every um, uh, protest march. And she was at, uh, a, they had a really groovy one this week that was out in a park. Yeah. And they had um, uh, Black Lives Matter and the People's City Council there doing a public uh, affair. I thought that was beautiful. Yeah, how to reimagine public safety in LA. And safety means different things in different communities. It, I, this one size fits all defund the police. Oh my God, we're going to abolish the police department. It's no, not happening. I think we're all, uh, you know, saying people can agree that we need to demilitarize mm. the police because they're armed to the teeth. And what we really need, the idea of replacing that, that was talked about. Uh, at that meeting and also in San Francisco about bringing counselors in, mental health uh, officials instead of the police saves lives and makes lives better. For instance, here's a, a, um, a suggestion uh, from uh, Herb Wesson, uh, who's on the city council here. And he said, imagine uh, an LAPD less scenario with a driver who's had too much to drink. So he says, don't you think you're gonna react better if a couple of brothers pull up and say, can I give you a ride home? Right. Um, instead of the cops dealing with every single situation, which they have to do. They have to deal with mentally ill people in public places. They have to deal with homeless people. Well, they have to deal with things that really aren't, aren't police business. I think we might have mentioned before that, that instance of where, when Denzel Washington, the actor, pulled over mm -hmm. in West Hollywood, there was a, a, a black guy who was homeless, who was distressed, and the cops had been called, and Denzel Washington actually stopped his car and got out and, and did an intervention because he was worried about that man. Yeah, he did. And it, I think if someone, if social workers... And by the way, that was during this. this yes. That was in, I believe, late a March. A couple months yeah. ago. And, and if, if social workers and mental health care workers were dispensed instead of men with guns... Mm -hmm. people with guns it would just be it would diffuse the situation and be a help to right. the community well she's uh jan williams has a brother who doesn't take meds for schizophrenia and she wants mental health workers to come out when the threat the police are going to show up and see a 300 pound black man who's having a, a you know an episode town hall's about reducing the lapd presence um says sometimes the cops don't show up when they need them uh, uh, a, a terrible story of a crime well, being committed and then not coming. So that's that's where the but inequity also are. we have to talk about Inequities. white people calling the police on people of color without understanding that you're endangering that person's life. Right. It's an, it's not a frivolous thing. You can't just call the cops for everything in your life. Much like not sitting on the floor of Walmart and crying because you have to wear a mask. You have to take individual responsibility sometimes for yourself. And every person who's in your world that is in the threat to you, you can't react like that couple in St. Louis and come out with automatic weapons and stand on your front porch. Uh, uh, no. It, it escalates the situation. What about the woman that threatened the... Asian American man in San Francisco that lived in Pacific Heights and told him that he couldn't write Black Lives Matter in chalk on his building. <laughs> he was like, this is my and building. It, it turned, well, no, yeah. he didn't even say yeah. that. Yeah. He was very careful and uh, calm. And she and her husband called the police. And then she later wrote, <laughs> this, she, this, is, no, this is really white awful. entitlement so hideousness. She wrote a letter to the supervisor uh, of that 
area neighborhood and said that she didn't call the police and that her life had been ruined and the supervisor wrote her right back and said you know i've listened to the police call that you made (laughs) and no and i'm uh, reading a lot of liberal websites right now like um the hill (laughs) and uh the hill's just slightly to the right of the national review somewhere falls down in between somewhere between the the bulwark and the wall street journal um but they do cover the news occasionally and this i thought was a, a really good story from a couple of days ago. Uh, living statues were installed around D.C. depicting President Trump as a destroyer of civil rights and liberties. That's the headline because they know their crowd. A group of artists known as the Trump Statue Initiative. Um, there's one of him holding the Bible up. There's one of him with a golf club. Do we have to say his name? I'm sorry, 45. One of him uh, ordering a child in a backpack to go back to school. And on the plinth it says, now go back to school. Um, 45, Destroyer of Civil Rights and Liberties. There's one with him uh, with a teddy bear watching Fox News in a bunker. And there's another one of him standing with the Bible in his hand. And well, we're in a really treacherous uh, position right now where uh, we know that he's losing, but we also know that he's going to uh, put Border Patrol in, in Portland and he's going to wreak havoc and also... Um, is apparently denying the CDC any information when we're having a spike in cases. Oh, and they want to zero out the budget coming up, too. Oh, they're going to do everything they can to ignore it and exacerbate it, which is why we have to uh, take uh, control. The uh, The cat who runs this thing is named Mr. Brian, Brian Buckley. He's a filmmaker. Uh, he said the group urges pedestrians who stop to engage with the statues to register and vote. We're hoping the initiative will inspire other street performers, other artists to follow suit across the country in swing states or conventions that we really start to show these moments in statue form and show what we'll be living with if he wins re-election. It's an ongoing effort. Um, we'll sort of enter into less friendly areas soon. You can see that it's a living art type of thing and it's two people. Can we uh, bring Bolsonaro's emu slash reyes it wasn't an emu jennifer it was a reyes emus live I understand in uh, that. the antipodes there, and reyes live in the well, they are uh, in south america the guardian jur- journalist luke enriquez gomez uh, pointed out you can't just start in the to, middle of a bolsonaro people, and emu story you've got to give me a little background to on this. people no luke enriquez gomez said pointed out that it was not an emu that bit Bolsonaro at his palace. You're burying the the emu biting leader. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm saying that there was actual discussion online, like, was it an emu? First of all... Bolsonaro has COVID. Yes. He is quarantined in his, quote, palace, Palace. as you do. And apparently, unbeknownst to a lot of us, he has large... Horrible birds. They're flightless. They're, they're adi- horrible. They're, they are I, they I are. think that they're, you know, a little bit they're upsetting. Like they're upsetting. They're they're a distant cousin of the emu. They're giant, by the way. They're of course, I immediately think of Rod Hull. Rod Hull and emu. And his so emu. Go back here to the Bolsonaro's, the dictator he's of Brazil. A, right. He's who's been running around like a mad a hideous person. Hideous maniac. Not, and he's been bitten by a giant flightless while bird. While in isolation. First of all, why are you feeding a bird that tall? Why, why do you have them there? 
Oh, Why are you near a, them? He, Why aren't you in he bed? He lives in a palace. You have wild birds on your palace. Here's a song uh, uh, that I learned when I was in grade school. You know, Hearst had zebras, but he didn't have flightless and birds. And monkeys in cages. I saw the Orson Welles movie. Hearst had that monkey that's in the cage when they have showed the Have you been new- to Hearst Castle? I haven't, um, but I kind of like the music. I haven't. I, the only thing, you know, they spent so much money bringing all of that from Europe. Right. They, they raided the and rampaged, and it was just so disgusting. And I, I remember when we left it, I, w- I was eight years old the first time I went there, and there were tarantulas traversing the what? red. And I Where thought, is it? You know, San Simeon? You know, I don't know. Uh, San Simeon, right? No. Yeah, San Simeon is the sound in its name. It's, it's, I don't want to be near where tra- tarantulas. You can see tarantulas in the headlights. Crunching down the road. Just, you know, furry. boldly striding. Yeah, giant baseball down, bits crawling down, down the road, down spindly the road. furry crabs. <laughs> Boo. You don't like, oh, let's get woman, this straight. You hate tarantulas. A woman architect. I was say, the, the positive part of uh, Yay, there's a positive part. Of William Randolph Hearst, uh, giant Hearst Castle, is that Julia Morgan designed and was in charge of the entire project. And I hope she just bilked him oh, for I, everything. I'm sure she gouged him. Bolsonaro was in containment for having COVID after flagrantly high-fiving, hugging crowds, running around like a mad person. He got it. They put him in containment at the palace, and he got bit there in a photo op. There while are eating, photos. Fe- he was feeding a giant Rhea. <laughs> so here's the song I learned about the gaucho from I think a, what? a book called Yeah, my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Clark, will play the piano, and there was a song. Uh, I've already sang you the Gypsy one, which I'm going to sing again oh right God, now. No. Yeah, it was called Music from Around the World, and this one went. The Gypsy one goes like this. I'm sorry to say Gypsy, but this was that's what it was called. Romany. I, I know. This is the, Roma. Seven, this is the 70s. All right, all right. Deep in the forest, gay gypsy chorus, bright glowing campfire leaping before us. Boom, tra la lolly, boom, tra la lolly, boom, tra la lolly, hoo, ha, ha. Boom, tra la lolly, boom, tra la lolly, boom, ha, ha, hee, hee. That's how that one went. This one, we thought was a pretty hot one. Um, see the gaucho ride the pampas, ride the pampas green and wide, with his blankets, spurs, bombachas, and his bullets by his side. He is waiting for Conchita, who's been waiting for this day. I'm Amita, how he'll greet her. What he year will was sing this? and shout ole. Listen to the gaucho, he's singing Rita, 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 Rita all the day. Yeah? This was 1970, okay? So wow. you can stop judging right now and you can wow. remove that look of consternation wow. and horrible expectant racism coming out of me and replace it with one of brilliant incandescent wonder Can't. at the songs that I'm remembering <laughs> from when I was 10 because I had them pounded into me by my fifth grade teacher. What, what about my story that you thought? Bolas are oh. how gauchos took down rias on the pampas. A ria is a giant bird like an ostrich, not as big as I've, I've seen the photos. Right. So they're terrifying. And they use this... It ha- it's a, a, a rope affair with two balls on either end, ergo the bolas, and they swing it over their head like that and then fling it at the bird. And that's how they were. I guess they ate them or something. That seems untenable. Or I think they wrestled cow. I mean, I think they cattle too. I think that's how they took down a cow rather than jumping off and bulldogging it or whatever. I think they, I don't know. I don't know that much about gauchos other than he was my favorite of the Marx Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, really wow. well, right? wow. I thought I was going to say Chico. When when I was really uh, little, when we were in uh, the countryside in France, our neighbor took me walking with his dog, Poochie, into the... Not just Poochie. That dog had two <laughs> names, and it was called Poochie Snipes. <laughs> we would walk. Poochie was a Pekingese uh, in the forest. I was a toddler. This is like a blues song now. And... 
we, Walking like a toddler. The reason I bring it up is because types. there was a whole caravan of Roma in the forest. And With they, brightly colored wagons? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was like it was okay, another. Okay, you always do this to me. What was, year was this, Jennifer? Well, was this it was it was right an, after the war. It was another century because it was France. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it was amazing. Was Johnny Depp there by any chance playing guitar? And what's her name, Juliette Binoche? And thankfully, Chocolat, he, he was nowhere near. Yeah, he was probably passed out. He, with some ice he cream. hadn't tried to buy a, a Cherokee heritage at that stage. <laughs> You know, uh, I want to have a huge public breakup with you and then have people find out that I laid on a shag rug with my pants down. It was really smart, wasn't it, that you did that trial? Because flying to England now is such a great Are we finding out anything positive about him? Mm, He did rails in the morning and uh, whiskey and stuff. And what was the music he played? Oh, Keith Richards' CD was on his desk. Uh, Which makes me think of Alex at Musso. Uh... He was uh, our favorite steak place in Los Angeles and favorite restaurant. Alex is uh, Sergio's son-in-law and Sergio was the much loved waiter who the most famous waiter in Hollywood. Yes. Who sadly left us and Sergio was Keith Richards favorite waiter. Right. Sat in his section. And so we never heard anything really any details from Sergio, but then one day Alex showed us photos of when they got to hang out in Mexico City yeah, with they were flown with to the Mexico Stones. City by Keith. And Alex said that uh, Keith wouldn't let them meet Mick Jagger, right. which was just hilarious. You're my friends, but well, also Alex told us down there, right? Alex also. Uh, yeah, top their stories. Yeah. I mean, the waiters Keith at Muso have cooler stories down. that you can... Oh, and Ruben had a guitar, too, remember? Yes. You get Ruben said, yeah. then he brought me back a guitar. I didn't know who he was. I still have it. Oh, he knew <laughs> who Keith was. <laughs> Ruben's also the person that threw Steve McQueen out of the bar. For being shit-faced on two Borgs, was it? Or I can't remember the... Yeah, he threw him out. Yeah. Uh, apparently liked Robert Mitchum. So. He let Steve McQueen back in. The story is, McQueen came in... And was already drunk. And um, it's right on Hollywood Boulevard. Moose is the heart of the action for a thousand years. Now it's kind of a douchier. There's like kind of a lot of Jimmy Buffett type bars on the street. But Moose is holding it down still. And even during this, they're doing takeout. So you can, you can order. Which is your, marvelous. If you live in L.A., you can order and they'll deliver it to you with Postmates. Or you can go pick it up. And they use the fancy 1950s uh, metal hotel hot I know, things I in that. it so everything stays nice. And they send you a card. It's, it's very elegant. It's very Moose's. And um, McQueen came in, and he was already hammered. And he went over to Ruben, and he goes, "I want it." It was either a Tuborg or what's that other one? That German, uh, not Heineken. Any um, and Ruben goes, "No, man, you're you know you're loud." And he's like, "I want you know who the fuck I am. I want a goddamn beer." And Ruben went, "You're barred." And he came back in, and begged, begged, and the management went, "Ruben barred you." The right. manager so at the time. They said it's up to Ruben. It's up to Ruben whether you can come back in. So Ruben actually could pull. But the that's what's up. beautiful is that they don't care how famous you are. They've had everybody in. Yeah. Lauren McCall was. Well, a Alex, Alex said uh, hilariously to us that Johnny Depp used to hang on everything that Keith Richards said. Right. And then the, both of them would take one bite and then go up and, and smoke. smoke. Yeah, of course. And you have to go out and back to smoke in the car park, which is awesome because you're standing there under this little canopy near the, all the guys who park cars. Uh, the other good one was, uh, oh, I just blanked on it. Never mind. Short wow. circuit. Yeah. 
Well, there's not like there's enough news right now. Oh, well, right? no, the uh, yeah, the famous people that have gone to Musa's. Uh, well, what about moving on? Yes. I was going to mention the the it, it, there's in the midst of all of this going backwards in America. There is also things like um, the Mississippi Lieutenant Governor has picked Reuben Anderson, who is the first black judge to ever serve on the Mississippi State Supreme Court, to choose a new state flag. How about that? They're going to eliminate the Confederate flag mm -hmm. on the Mississippi State flag and choose the they've given this man, uh, Reuben Anderson, this the judge. judge He's going to sit on the committee to choose the next one. It's magnificent. As we talked about, Mississippi moves slowly. But right but, now they're not. No, they're, they're moving with lightning. They're also having a terrible time with the virus. Uh, the 4th of July was the day that Vicksburg fell, as well as Gettysburg. And Vicksburg is a giant, um, uh, you know, important city on the Mississippi River. Um, Grant sieged it for a, in a terrible long siege there, several months. And um, as a result, Mississippi didn't celebrate the 4th of July until the 50s. They waited almost 100 years to celebrate it again. So everything there is, you know. Yeah. Um, in a, well, like I've said before, I lived in Montgomery, Alabama right. for a year. And I was thinking today about, I, I mentioned before my uh, African-American science teacher, Miss McMillan, and how I live next door to a KKK member. And I remember a, a white... Can I borrow a cup of supremacy? <laughs> a, a white, we're all out. A white family, uh, when we were registering uh, for classes, a white family came in and uh, Miss McMillan, who was very uh, composed and chic, asked her her name, her daughter's name, and she asked how to spell it. And the mother, I was 10, and I was so shocked. The mother said, we don't know how to spell it. We just like the name. And was mm -hmm. angry at my black teacher mm -hmm. for not just intuiting what that name might be. And I thought, you know, this is going to be a long 10 months <laughs> in Alabama. Well, yeah. But um, uh, Alabama's not getting the best of it right now either. But Kay Ivey, who's been much maligned on the show for her homophobia and other attributes, um, put a mask order out for the whole state. Whereas Brian Kemp... Right? Brian Kemp, Brian the governor Kemp of Georgia... Brian Kemp is suing... Is suing Cashelon's bottoms because she wanted to have a mask order for the city of Atlanta, of which she is mayor. Now, what happens next? More lawsuits, and they go around and around and because around. Because she's Kemp's awesome. Yeah. She is an awesome mayor. Speaking of this, let's jump in for just a second when you're saying things are moving forward. Joanne Reed got uh, Chris Matthews' uh, old slot on That's MSNBC. So awesome. they've moved her from the weekend. And they've given her her own show called Readout. And who are her first guests? Um, if, you, if this comes out before, it'll be tonight at Monday night. And her first guests are Hillary Clinton, who she calls presidential winner. Yeah. It's her first. Uh, right. It will be today because we're hopefully this is going out today. Um, Kesha Lance Bottoms, uh, mayor of Atlanta, and Lori Lightfoot, mayor of Chicago. Who are all wonderful. And have been doing as much as they possibly. By the way, not only did Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, who uh, cheated to beat Stacey Abrams and who also attempted to, you know, fudge the election this last time, has been terrible about the virus. And Lori, I mean, Kesha Lance Bottoms has COVID. 
Yes, and is dealing her with family, being there and a couple of members of her family. And Kemp is still suing her in court to not to not. No, he's cruel her. and racist. Mm. I mean, let's just say it. I will. He's cruel and racist, and uh, masks are so important. Speaking of comedy, um, the Nowhere <laughs> Comedy Club is where you'll find me. That's a nice segue. Right here. I know. Smith. Um, Mark of Comedy. The Nowhere Comedy Club. Uh, lots of groovy comics play. In fact, last night, um, our good friend Alonzo Bowden will... Oh, no. Is that next week? No, it's last night. All right. Or tonight as we speak. Um, well, that's fun. And then Monday, if it... Oh, I don't know if this will be out in time, but if it is, uh, tomorrow at 6 o'clock, I'm doing a show with our good old buddy uh, in Guy Obelum. Um, and... Uh, Chris Titus and loads of others, and it's called the 720-420 Comedy Extravaganza. Extravaganza. And Gaio is a, Clever. a, a pot advocate. Um, he writes a pot column for the Sacramento Alternative Paper, and he's one of our oldest, and I do mean old, no, one of our oldest friends. Uh, Alonzo just did last night. Dave Hill, who's very funny. Steve Hostetter. Deanne Smith, our buddy from... Uh, um, Bermuda. Bermuda, who's been doing quite a lot of good charity work. I don't know if you've seen on Twitter. Uh, anyway, the 24th, which is, yeah, what day of the week is it, Greg? It's Friday. Is uh, me and Ben Glebe, we improvise, and we call it it's a G thing because our imagination is, I don't know, stunted a little bit. And uh, we riff the whole time. Last time, I remember at one point in the drunken proceedings, Ben was pretending to be an old Jewish lady ordering coffee, and I came in with, I believe, a knife loaded with cocaine, and we virtually did I think sketch. it was flour, luckily for everyone. Oh, no, this isn't an episode of Entourage. I don't have a bag of cocaine at the house or whatever with Jeremy Piven on my dick. Um, and then the August 8th, uh, or as I call it, the August 10th, it's August 10th, and that's also Friday. We'll be doing the, um, what? that doesn't seem right. What month are we on here? Oh, I didn't move to August. I want you to leave this How's part in. How's it going? I want you to leave this part in because I want everyone to know. Wow. I'm only human, born to make mistakes. See the gaucho, ride the pampas, ride the pampas. Greg Proops, smartest man in the world. It's a Saturday and it's August 8th. And it starts at, I believe, 7 o'clock. And that's PDT, Pacific Daylight Time. It's $10 if you order now. And then the closer I think it gets to the show date, so you got some time, the price goes up. But $10 is a pretty decent price. I love keeping it low because I know times are bloody scandalous. It's at 6.30. I said 7. It's at 6.30. It's me doing the podcast by myself for an hour and a half. Um, all your favorites will be there. The Boring Preachy Park, Kitchens, McTavish, dancing, singing, and poor Lee devised jokes should we talk about some of the giants who've uh it's well i was gonna before we get to that can we mention a couple of other things yeah for one thing the first black editor of uk vogue was stopped oh going into work uh recently and told to go to the loading dock and he is actually the editor of Vogue. Was this in London? Uh, yes. Edward Enninful mm. was racially profiled, but he's the editor of British Vogue. I assume the security guard wasn't au fait with him coming in the front door there. He stopped him. From he coming. did not know who he was. 
even though he's the yeah. Macha? It, it just speaks to how we have to change things. And it's awesome that he is the new editor, and yet so many things have to change. Well, we've just had the first um, black people on the covers of Vogue, we had the first uh, editions edited by black people of Vogue with Beyonce. And- we had the first uh, a Vanity Fair's cover this month is Viola Davis. And a really glamorous shot of uh, her back in an evening gown, uh, which is uh, echoes of a photo of a slave who was beaten. Mm -hmm. It's intentional, but it's also a beautiful photo. And it's by Dario Calmizi, who is unbelievably the first black photographer. To have the cover? To have the cover of Vanity Fair. Get right on that. Yeah. So, you know, little by little. White people are timeless. Aren't they? Yeah, we just keep it going. Um, Speaking of firsts, uh, this is amazing to me because we we were in West Virginia with Liz Winstead not that long ago. Um, West Virginia elected a trans lawmaker, Rosemary Ketchum. Nice. West Virginia. Right? Home of Tudors. What is it? Biscuit King? Oh, God. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, that is just. Do you remember that they had a biscuit that was eggs, biscuit and bologna, and it was called the politician? Yeah. Hello, <laughs> bologna. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we. The we... Hamlin was called the anti-Semite. Oh, really? Hello, everybody. Really? It was Tudor's World of Biscuits, wasn't it? I mean, there's just. Uh... Tudor's Biscuit World. The thing that's so crazy is, and I, I, and I think that. I, I don't want to ever think that it's anything like what John Lewis and C.T. Vivian, who we both lost on Friday, uh, experienced. But it seems like there's heady days right now of change. And I think John Lewis was, uh, he was happy about how many young people were out protesting mm-hmm. this year. Remember it the last gave picture? him hope. Yeah, the last picture was with him and the mayor of D.C., Muriel Bowser, and that was literally his last public appearance. And he was so determined that he stood with her on Black Lives Matter Plaza. Which is adjacent. To. The House of uh, 45. (laughs) London Breed is in vogue uh, this week, speaking of women black mayors. And uh, London Breed has distinguished herself um, amazingly during this whole thing and so much as she's been um, uh, unbelievably proactive about every element of this uh, she says in this Vogue article if I'd been a white guy and I'd um, done all the things I've been able to do people would never stop talking about it because they asked her is it harder and she's like she's from the projects in San Francisco um, she's actually f- born and raised in San Francisco yes. which is very unusual because no one is from San Francisco that's, no. that's from San Francisco uh, but it, you can read the article in Vogue. It's an interview with her, and it's quite good. I mean, she's a very intelligent um, and dynamic person. And we hope one day we'll go on to um, uh, even bigger offices, although she's well, an she, awesome mayor. she shut down San Francisco. Immediately. And that's why San Francisco has had uh, a hold. We have learned since we cannot blame our mayor for what's transpired here with the covid we can with the police, but yeah. <laughs> with the COVID. Or the governor. Be- because um, apparently 
years prior, we have cut funding to public health departments yeah. around the state. And that's just unconscionable. And it speaks to the entire nation's problem with public health. We have not seen it as a priority. We have not looked out for it. And we are paying a brutal price. Well, the people, you know, they try to convince you all the time, uh, uh, the right that it's not uh, 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 that it's not a right that it's not something that should just be publicly funded. They want it to be this private thing, and of course that doesn't work for anyone. And um, they, we also found out that they were shook down. All the mayors and governors of the country were shook down by the federal government, who has well, bargained this, with them, cajoled them. You mean by this particular one? Yes, and he's asked. No, right now, forty-five. Right, yeah. he has asked our governor to thank him, which is just inconceivable Revolting the because we know that he's trying to keep information from uh, the CDC from the World Health Organization mm. it's pretty shocking speaking on that point and just to not hit it till we all uh, stop but uh, London Breed said um, she accused white progressives of projecting beliefs onto African Americans and stated many progressive policies historically backed by whites have not worked for the black city's residents in other words What's happening in San Francisco now and has for so many years, you have a progressive movement made up by people who are mostly white and they feel they know what's in the best interest of black people. And I'm over that. Half the policies pushed in San Francisco are progressive policies that don't work because if they did, why are things far worse for black people? San Francisco is a city where five to six percent of the population is African-American. And yet we are disproportionately overrepresented in everything that's bad. High school dropouts, arrests, homelessness, you name it. It's a very interesting interview. I think you'll really, really like it. The two moments of uh, 1930s Weimar Germany dictatorial fascism that we've seen in giant play this week, of course. Only trying to, two? Well, I'm just going to highlight two. Trying to zero fund the CDC during um, a health crisis is, of course, as, as bad as it gets toward genocide. Um, but there's been a, a series of hideous public outings and interviews where 45 is revealed to the everyone. If but he, oh, Greg, he passed that basic cognitive he test. He saw a picture of an elephant and he identified it. And then he said to Chris Wallace, you wouldn't have been able to get the last three answers right. And of course, we've all seen the cognitive test and it's like, it's not very difficult. Um, it, anyway, his, his, his raging dementia, his lies and his cognitive impairment, as well as his physical impairment, have been wildly evident to us for three years. Of course, since the ramp incident, since uh, Mount Rushmore, Tulsa, we've seen him anywhere from dragging and dreary and thick-tongued and completely incoherent to repeating the same things over and over again because he doesn't seem to become able to come up or retain any new facts. What about the people that are uh, ever, you know, e each day wowed by the racism? Did they not understand that this was a man who called for the execution of the exonerated five way before he became president? In Park, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a this is well known. He just let everyone know that he was going to preview the episode that he released in Portland. He had the paramilitary people out on the streets in Washington, D.C. Now, Portland is um, a unique situation because not only is Oregon um, on the coast particularly liberal, but it's also painfully white. So it's a but white. But Greg, it was. It's. It, you can call it painfully liberal now, but the I didn't. State... I said it was painfully white, and then oh. on the west coast it was liberal. On the Thank east you. side of Oregon is heavily right wing and very kind of. But the whole state was founded as a white state. Understood. It's a reaction state. No, but maybe people don't know about that. 
No, they don't. I'm just saying, like, that's why it's a testing ground for him, I think, because of its its resolute whiteness through history. They used to have uh, neo-Nazi groups right outside of Portland. I think that that was his nod to them. They obviously had the horrible uh, where they they took over the the white supremacist group, took over an indigenous people. Right, the bird refuge. Right. The Bundy? Yeah, the Bundys. And who were all, um, by the way, pardoned by him. Um, My point was that um, this is a testing ground to show sending these midnight raids out in these unmarked vans um, that are rental vans from Enterprise Rent-A-Car. This is the level we're talking about. It's sad. And that the cats they uh, recruited are from various different federal departments, including um, the Border Patrol, which hilariously the border is some 300 miles from Portland. So the idea yeah, that there is no border and uh, they're trying to run this whole thing like we're protecting federal property by the courthouse and whatnot because guys were using chalk to write graffiti on it. And so using um, the bang bang concussion grenades and using the gas on them and everything, threatening people, beating people um, is a very uh, theatrical way of having a Reichstag fire. They did have a pretend one last night. And, you know, it, it just highlights what everyone's talking about around the U.S. about demilitarizing the police. Well, it does. Uh, but we, there's also the issue of like uh, sending out a force that doesn't have their name tags on and no badges that simply say police across these weird improvised uniforms. He's testing it in Portland because he wants this to fly with his followers and stuff. Of course, all of this is insanely illegal and unconstitutional and smacks of um, as Will Bunch and the Inquirer said, uh, the coup in Chile, which we backed. You, you hope to not see these kind of things where people really run down the street and throw people into unmarked vans. They had to let everyone go. But the continued violence, what I wanted to get at was, this is a, a trumped up story, if you'll pardon the expression, yes. that they're running as a narrative that there's some sort of cities on fire scenario. Everyone well, in Oregon will tell you, and you pointed me to that. The Oregonian that, pointed out it was a 12-block area where this was happening but also i wanted to to speak to you know we've been paying attention to what's happening in alabama what's happening in mississippi it's really interesting that they're going to oregon uh i wouldn't be surprised that they go to idaho Mm. this is not the south is trying to make amends they're have desperately seeking other sites where they can spread hate oh yes well that's what i mean by floating it in portland uh, in the northwest you're saying is it okay for us to have white supremacists everywhere to pretend that there's this giant situation going on that's a security situation which it isn't at all uh the oregonian and uh the governor and um the the mayor of portland would all say um, mostly things are quiet and mostly these giant protests they have there are peaceful. The Portland cops are like any other cops in the United States there. I don't think they're very happy about this either, quite frankly, because I think they feel it, it's a uh, well, usurpation of their Also, power. the reality of the situation, you always have to, don't look at Twitter, don't just look at a couple of uh, uh, posts. Uh, uh, don't tell I, me what to do. I'm not wearing a mask during the show. I, I immediately went to the Oregonian to just get a feel for what people on the ground thought, and it dispelled the hysteria. Yeah. And that's so important. And again, it speaks to what I always say: is get a subscription to a local paper. I will not. It 
is so important. What about the Anderson Valley Advertiser? Oh, can I please talk about that for a second? One of our favorite because papers. we often oh my drove God. through Anderson Valley uh, when we lived in the Bay Area, and we go out to um, the coast. Um, Anderson Valley is this. A uh, little spot along 128. I can't remember which road it is. It's a curvy little road through the woods and beautiful, and um, a fiercely independent, weird place that has its own language called Boonter. Well, it did, but I, I mean, when I worked at a a crap job in the Castro in San Francisco, they had the AVA, and it was really entertaining to read, and the. I was looking it up the other day because I thought if anyone knew about the West Coast flu epidemic a hundred years ago, they would have a take on that, which of course, um, apparently Californians weren't any better at it then than they are now. So I, I take that as, well, yes, we didn't learn anything, but on the other hand, we survived, or some of us, um, Bruce Anderson is the editor of the AVA and he's from Moran and the bootling was the jargon developing in the late 19th century but of course that only got you so far having a weird lingo in that weird part of Northern California I didn't know Eugene Jameson a Round Valley indigenous person started it. Boonter? No, it started Anderson Valley Advertiser. Uh, it, that's why it's called that. It was, it was just um, an advertising brochure. Right. Uh, and what I love about Bruce Anderson, because he's obstreperous, which the newsletter makes very clear. I remember when I read it in the 80s, he'd have uh, editorials from uh, Alexander Coburn, Right. And then... Uh, Famous British crank. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Who lived in Northern California. There would be articles uh, from Henry Miller about how American bread was horrible. Underneath the masthead, the, the punch says, a newspaper should have no friends. Joseph Pulitzer. <laughs> By 2004, Anderson Valley had become a wine region with total strangers dominating the political life. I began daydreaming about murdering cer certain people. I said, you know, this place isn't really healthy for me anymore. So he split and went to Oregon and then, of course, came right back and re he bought the paper again. Um, he he pays them, the contributors, $25 an article and reminds them that that's what Mark Twain once earned when he was a journalist in San Francisco. Wow. I think so. By the way, that was some time ago, Jennifer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think some of the letters we get from prisoners are great. I'd much rather hear from Joe Schmo than I would say George Will. Mm-hmm. Here, I'm with him on that one, baby. Right? Here is columnist Malcolm McDonald on county official Don Hamburg. I'd sooner vote for a wild hog rooting up my trees than you again. Nice. The writer Todd Walton on American except exceptionalism, a cancerous blood clot in the main artery of what might otherwise be an effective, functional, egalitarian global community. Oh, my God. That's great. I mean, it's... The American you know, it's, it's a... A thorn in yeah. the side of a, it's a great a, paper. A very posh wine community yeah. where it doesn't fit in anymore, and I love that he came back down there and is 
fighting the good fight. I'll have a beef brody and a horn of Z's. Exactly. Um, he is fighting the good fight. Anderson Valley Advertiser is great fun um, and a fun newspaper to read. I wanted to get to a point that has been um, a lot of hand wringing and um, whatnot over, especially on the R team. This whole idea that um, 45 is going to contest the election. We know he's going to pull everything he can. There's a thousand different scenarios. You know, there's Planet Z, there's the zombie apocalypse, there's uh, the paramilitary force, there's the we're, we're going to defund the post office, we're going to, I'm going to stamp my feet and hold my breath till I turn blue and I'm going to roll down the steps and I'm going to say everything's bad and everyone's mean to me. We know all of those scenarios. But I wanted to read something that Jennifer gave to me today, and it took some time because she sent it by passenger pigeon from her part of the house. Really? Yeah, and uh, as you know, the passenger pigeons are extinct. Tied on t onto a hamster? Well, I don't know if you remember World War One, the Great War, but I was a child then, and we would use hamsters and other rodents, and of course pigeons and whatnot, and um, we'd put a message on their leg, and then the other person would receive it, and you would shake the hamster, and then the hamster would do a certain dance. Uh, I think it was called the hamster dance. And it would turn three clockwise circles to the left. And then, really? Yeah. And then it would reveal the secret. And um, Jennifer sent it by that today. And it was a, a tweet. Uh, you may have seen part of the Chris Wallace interview with um, uh, Benito Cheeto today. And it was real ugly. But uh, I could take solace in one thing. People keep su supposing that he's not going to leave office. That he's somehow going to... Um, wall himself in like some sort of Greek myth and that he's invulnerable to our... What if you lure him out with a hamburger? Well, I was going to say, a plate of Big Macs and some Diet Cokes might get him to the door. Because he, even when he was in the bunker, imagine when he was literally um, making Boom Boom and uh, sitting alone crying during that horrible episode until Ivanka pulled him out and made him walk down the How street in the Bible cutting off his internet so he can't tweet well there's all of that and as you so brilliantly said before he's built a fortress around himself it's also a prison if you look at it from the outside and so he can be the electricity can be turned off the water and good night nurse um a, a former uh david beard who tweets as da beard uh talked to a jonathan wakro an ex-secret service agent and this was i thought a definitive quote as joe biden said he will just be removed from office yes but as the you. secret service agent said he can sit in the oval office and put his hands together and say i'm not going to leave but the transfer of power will occur with him or without him the phrase that the u.s service members oath of enlistment is i greg proops do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now, I know you're going to go, but he can do whatever he wants and no one ever does anything. People are doing things all the time. Yes. There are hearings. There are subpoenas. There are police actions. There are judges making rulings. It doesn't get noise because it doesn't, if it bleeds, it leads. And if it don't bleed, it doesn't lead. I was watching the NBC Nightly News last night, which is a staid affair. And uh, they really roll it down the middle. And they did the thing in Portland where they talked about some of what was going on. And then the last sentence was, this could lead to more violence. That's all we have from here. And to me, that's just selling. By that the way. Lead. And so you, you have to understand that news is a, is a sales thing, too. Not like the Anderson Valley Advertiser, which seeks to only be a gadfly. But, but by the way, because we've all been at home, if we can... We have been. I've been on the road, Jennifer. We have no. You have not. Crazy. <laughs> we have been watching <laughs> the fact that that police violence has not slowed down. 
And is eternal. It's as, as American no, but as I mean, we're, we are keeping tabs on these people. Yeah. And as, you know, white people, we need to s step up and, and help people of color. This is our chance yeah. it's a to case by case make basis. it right. If you see something bad happening, you must react. Yes. Jamel Hill, who we've already talked about on the show, she uh, went, of course, from ESPN, where she was um, bravely fired for expressing her opinion about black players in the NFL. Uh, she writes for The Atlantic, and um, she does a show called Jamel Hill is Unbothered. She posted a YouGov um poll today it's from the economist the, the economist is a staid fairly i don't know I, I would rather read the economist than the west wall street journal if i had to read a white guy publication because they seem to at least register the actual reality actually, of the situation good book reviews well like the telegraph reality <laughs> into fox news and oan and those kind the, of things the telegraph i, I the tory graph i i like for uh they have uh really interesting articles about the Catholic Church. There's some of the right-wing papers will actually print the truth, which is what's weird. So the Economist, which I wouldn't call exactly left-wing, they're called the Economist, which means well, they're only interested in money. I think that you always have to bounce back and forth, and you have to go to. If you tell me to read Barry Weiss, I'm leaving the table. I right am now. never going to ever <laughs> say that. But what I mean is, there there are certain journalists like at, at the New York Times, David Enrich has it down about mm. Deutsche Bank and mm -hmm. 45. Yep. And I don't, you know, so there are journalists at, at certain newspapers. Right, working behind the lines. Yeah. Well, anyway, this uh, YouGov Economist uh, poll has, um, of course, Biden leading in every category. But amongst white um, people, 45 is at 49% to 42% for Biden. And black people, 10 to 78 percent, Hispanic, 23 to 62, all 40 to 49. What is wrong with white people? Well, uh, Ava DuVernay retweeted What's still off, working? What, What's still working except for I the like hate, the mass unemployment. The hate and the racism. I like that people I know have it or are dying of it. And I also like uh, the racism. Ava DuVernay, the wonderful uh, director who directed uh, 13, which is imperative, and... Uh, Several other movies, including the Martin Luther King movie, basically half of all white folks, this is where we are, after all that we've been through, whiteness over democracy, whiteness over safety, whiteness over justice, this is what these numbers mean, 49%. The reason I sent that to you today is uh, several reasons, but one of them is, I mean, I already said that I lived in Montgomery, Alabama as a child, briefly, thankfully. Um, not that Montgomery is awful. That we I was love. Say, I quite like Montgomery. Yeah. Birmingham as well. No, I, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. As as a white person going to church in a white church in Alabama when I was ten was not ideal. Um, but I was acutely aware as a person that age that white people didn't care about how awful their circumstances were they wanted people of color to suffer and i was really made aware of that and it was astounding and profound at that age and well, i'll never forget it of course it's a through line and you're you're lucky to have been exposed to that then i think a lot of people are just getting to that point now and uh, the last couple of months have showed everybody that and believe i believe that the, that economist um 
YouGov poll is um, going easy on right? 45. I think he's underwater. I think everything's underwater. I mean, I, I heard from someone uh, last week who is, I've never heard her express a deeply political opinion, Wyatt. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said to me that she's going to do anything she could to vote for Biden. We're all going to crawl over broken glass with World War One gas masks right? on. Um, and we all have to. It's going to be good. Oh, I wanted to hip you to this since we're trying to eliminate people. I'd like to ask you guys something, if you will. Fanmail for Greg at gmail.com. Fanmail for Greg at gmail.com. Him next. Uh, write me and tell me who your local congressperson or who you'd like to, me to promote on the show. We're gathering them on our own as well. Uh, a good friend of the show named Daniel Elliott, you may remember from several years ago, we were stumping for a candidate down there in Texas. Uh, the candidate I wanted to hit you to is Candace Valenzuela. She's in Texas 24th district. It's uh, Candace, which is C-A-N-D-A-C-E 424.com. Um, she's pro-choice. She's pro-family. She's backed by John Lewis, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Julian Castro, Cory Booker, Deb Haaland. It's a Ayanna It's Presley. a shutout. Yeah. Uh, Katie Porter. Um, it's, a, it's a, oh, both Castro brothers. Look yeah. at that. Um, it's a wipeout. And... Um, Texas is in play, you guys. Georgia's in play. It's so Florida's exciting. In play. Seriously, because the world ended, everything's in play. And so don't get bummed out. Are we going to do him first, Eddie Gale? Yeah. Let's dig it. Let's do Eddie Gale. Eddie Gale. He, he, wasn't we, he the ambassador of jazz yes, for San Jose? San Jose. We lost him at 78. He was a free jazz trumpeter mentored by John Coltrane who he described as a father figure. Wow. Now, how awesome is that? More awesome than anything. John Coltrane Gale recalled that the tenor saxophonist was so startled by the passionate torrent flowing from his horn that Coltrane asked him whether he was on drugs. What? No, I just love the music, Gale answered. I didn't say saxophonist. I I, I was wondering if you were going to come back to the saxophonist. Right, the tenor saxophonist. He played with Cecil Taylor on the 66 Blue Note album Unit Structures with Henry Grimes, who we've talked about before, the bass player, who disappeared and came back. Right. Free jazz. A a eulogy to Cecil Taylor and Henry Grimes. Um, Eddie Gale also was with Sun Ra throughout the 60s and 70s. Yeah. And they were really close. He he said, Sun Ra walked the streets every day and every night, and he would have me walk with him all over Manhattan. He would show me different things, his early poetry, wordplay, hieroglyphics. Hieroglyphics? I, yeah, I would just tag along with this man. He called me the original avant-garde trumpeter because I was able to get into music every which way. Blue Note said he left, Eddie Gale left an incredible legacy. He was an advocate for musicians. He launched jazz musicians self-help health care fundraisers. Amazing. Um, donating proceeds to the Jazz Foundation of America, a nonprofit which helps jazz and blues musicians in need of emergency funds. He produced the annual concerts for world peace and peace poetry. When he moved to San Jose to teach, he wasn't quite clear where the city was located. 
He told the really? San, yeah, he told the San Jose Merc- Mercury News, the music sounds as beautiful in San Jose as anywhere else. He's I thought in, that was hilarious. Yeah, hilarious. He had an ability to communicate with people, Howard Wiley told the Chronicle. And like a lot of these older cats, he was a true personality, a weird black hippie with a sound like water falling from a cascading sky. He would just talk about the humanity and the music. He became the ambassador of jazz for uh, of, San Jose. of San Jose. And... Uh, in 2018, KPFA co-produced a 50th anniversary reimagining of his album Ghetto Music with a multi-generational cast of Bay Area musicians. And it said at the end of one of the obituaries, the family is planning a car parade tribute for Gale in San Jose in August. But, you know... Of any place, that's the most San Jose thing that could happen, is a um, car parade. San Jose is car culture. Yeah. Um, the Latin element of San Jose yeah. has driven car yeah. culture there. You can go to eddiegale.com. This is called The Rain, Ghetto Music, The Remake, what Jennifer exactly was talking about. He was a professor who taught at Stanford and San Jose State. And I wanted to point out one thing that you and I both say. San Jose. San Jose. What about the summertime? I just played it. Thank you. It was three minutes. Now we're on to the Rain Ghetto remake. Eddie Gale swirling in the heavens, an immortal part of the Bay Area jazz and an immortal part of the Bay Area. San Jose is a real cool place. And um, uh, we played there last year with the guys and we did um, the San Jose Civic. And... I phoned Jennifer from backstage because I said, I saw the tubes here in 1978. <laughs> and then they had a wall of fame. I was coming down the staircase. They gave us dressing rooms upstairs and downstairs and a nice spread. And I was out in back smoking a bone as one does. And I went. I was coming down the staircase and, um, it, you know, they had all the groups that had played there, jazz groups, rock groups, whatnot. And uh, the tubes was listed on the wall there. Um, San Jose is a... An awesome part of California. One thing that's so weird to me is that when we lived there, uh, things were so insular, and we never strayed from San Francisco proper, but because things are so expensive, people live all over the peninsula. Oh, do they just? Well, uh, but see, I, San Jose was the other metropolis from San Carlos because it was equidistant. San Francisco, San Jose, San, San Jose to the south, San Francisco to the north. So if something jamming was happening in San Jose, we would go down. And of course, the improv there is a really lovely, lovely theater that we hope one day comes back. Eddie Gale, the jazz ambassador from San Jose. He seems like such a lovely person. Astonishing. Um, let's talk about uh, Reverend uh, Vivian here. Because oh, yes. We didn't, John Lewis isn't the only legend that no, swirled off into the it, heavens it, this Unbelievably, week. we lost two people in one day. And C.T. Vivian was the other person, uh, the other, you know, staunch leader. Uh, Ernie Suggs in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution wrote that CT, and it stands for Cordy Tyndale Vivian, who was 95, so well done him. He had a long, long life of fighting, fighting the injustices in this country. In 60, 
2005, he went to Selma to register black Americans to vote. There were 100 people in line. It was raining. Mm. The sheriff ordered him to leave. Sheriff Clark, the most infamous sheriff in America. Sheriff James Clark. And there are photos of this. And C.T. Vivian said, you're trying to intimidate these people and by making them stand in the rain, keep them from registering to mm-hmm. vote. This is so pre- this is so right now. This is a kind of violation of the Constitution, a violation of a court order, a violation of decent citizenship. The sheriff turned his back and Reverend Vivian said, you can turn your back on me, but you cannot beat down justice. And then Sheriff Clark, who is, by the way, 220 pounds, punched Reverend Vivian in the mouth and sent him reeling down the stairs. And Sheriff Clark said he didn't remember hitting him. And then later he had a x-ray taken of his finger that showed a fracture. Yep. Uh, Reverend Vivian had 11 stitches. And the photo of that happening was a turning point. There was a bank of photographers, again, the power of local media, getting your local journalists, mm. you know, paying it, have a subscription to your local paper, pay attention to who is on your paper. Um, in an instant, in front of a bank of news cameras, Clark was made an ugly symbol of violence, segregation, and racial hatred. It made a difference. The March of 65 afterward was Bloody Sunday, the clash at the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And like John Lewis, he was sent to Parchment Prison. Um, in 2013, Obama, President Obama bestowed on Reverend Vivian the Presidential Medal of Freedom. On Friday, President Obama wrote, Reverend Vivian was always one of the first in the action, a freedom writer, a marcher in Selma, beaten, jailed, almost killed, absorbing blows in hopes that fewer of us would have to have to. He waged nonviolent campaigns for integration across the South and campaigns for economic justice throughout the North, knowing that even after the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act that he helped win, our long journey to equality was nowhere never finished this is what made the movement he said our voice was really heard but it didn't happen by accident we made certain it was heard ct vivian was known for his intellect as well as his wit and humor and then i love this family photographs of vivian show him in tailor suits even as a child oh i can imagine and i've talked about it before but he's in the PBS documentary Eyes on the Prize from 1987. Yeah. And there's a special on PBS, The Healing Ministry of Dr. C.T. Vivian. Apparently he was really funny and lovely and... A giant of the movement. The Reverend Vivian um, swirling in the heavens. Let's talk about... um, you want to talk about this or you want to move on to... Let's let's go to John Lewis. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So... First of all, a friend of ours who works for the ACLU sent me photos on the day that John Lewis left us of her in his office. And she said that she 
spent an hour in his office and she showed me all these photos of him. And can I just say that anyone that got to spend time with him seems to want to show, you know, he was just the most delightful person in Congress. Yep. He was the light. He, Mr. Personality, as you said, and always upbeat, always hopeful. Um, I don't know that anyone endured more beatings than him that's been a member of the United States Congress. He actually said someone asked him from who was uh, talking to him from a disability charity said, do you consider yourself yourself part of the disabled? And he said he did because he'd Mm. been beaten so many times. He had so much post-traumatic stress. But at the same time, he was the light in life, I think, for so much, bizarrely, even at his age, I, I mean, not bizarrely, but but outstandingly, at his age, mm. he led he led the the sit down uh, for, for gun, gun control. control. He was just the light of Congress and so many votes. I think everyone would agree with that. I'm going to read you the most famous one that everyone. Um, quotes because it's worth reading. Do not get lost in a sea of despair. Be hopeful. Be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month, or a year. It is the struggle of a lifetime. Never ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble. Necessary trouble. Um, What's happening now, I think, is good trouble. I think the fight against fascism is always good trouble. I think the fight for equality (coughs) excuse me. Always. uh, he was asked if he was speaking if he were speaking to Dr. King what would he say last year and Mm -hmm. he said we have come a distance we have made some progress but we still have a great distance to go before we lay down the burden of racism there have been so many setbacks since you left we have someone the head of our government who in the finality is a racist he doesn't understand the meaning of your life and the significance of the civil rights movement but i truly believe somehow in some way we will not give give up and we will not give in we will continue to do what we must to create what you call the beloved community and the meaning of your life he does not understand the meaning of your life john lewis boycotted 45's inauguration and i'm not going to read the whole quote but i'll read some of it i don't see this president elect as a legitimate president i think the russians participated in helping this man get elected yep and they helped destroy the candidacy of hillary clinton and he didn't go yep maxine waters didn't go they took a principled stand is what it's called because uh, principles are a very important thing and he said this recently in the last two months i think vice president biden should look around it would be good to have a woman of color it'd be good to have a woman that looks like the rest of america Smart, gifted, a fighter, a warrior. He was born in very bad circumstances in so much as he talked about the uh, the area that he lived in. In Troy, Alabama. Was uh, studiously avoided by the white paving crews. They did mm-hmm. not pave out to the neighborhood where the black people, folks lived. They didn't give them library cards. They weren't allowed to check out books. He was an avid reader from an early age. He was thrilled when he finally was able to get a library card. Well, um, he's and, had to go through every and, level of segregation. And by Jim the way, C.T. Vivian and him and John Lewis talk about the importance of libraries, and it it's it, 
is another time to talk about the fact that rural America doesn't have um, internet access. No, they and don't. And they need libraries, and libraries are just everything. And when John Lewis first tried to go to a library, he was not let in because he was told black people couldn't go. Yeah. And so when he first won the prize for The literary hit, prize, yes, for his yeah, book. Yeah, I mean, just... We watched the. There was a video of him. Uh, he was in with a press junket in the Oval Office. Oh, that Duvernay took. It was backstage video. That one. No, the other oh, one. Sorry. Where uh, he's in with a junket, and Obama is showing him around the Oval Office, and he, uh, President Obama says, "I have the program to the March on Washington." And Representative John Lewis goes over to it like he's never seen it before. Mm. And I thought that was so... And it's tattered. Beautiful that he... Because he was the youngest person and he delivered a fiery speech. It was so fiery that they actually took parts of it out. Oh, it was edited heavily on the day. And the... The loveliness about him was that him acting that he was surprised that President Obama wouldn't want to have that. Well, what did Obama have him when he said he... He got, said, it's because of you, John, no. that I'm president. He wrote it on John. He, no, John he, Lewis no, came said, over to him and handed him the piece of paper in Obama. He said to him, yeah. it's because of you. Shall we hear a little? Just for... rural Alabama, about 50 miles from Montgomery... And growing up there during the 40s, I saw those signs that said white men, colored men, white women, colored women, white waiting, colored waiting. I didn't like those signs and I wanted to do something about it. In in 1955, when I was 15 years old, I heard about Rosa Parks. I heard the words of Martin Luther King Jr. on the radio. The action of Rosa Parks and the words of Martin Luther King Jr. inspired me. So I wrote this letter to Dr. King. I didn't tell my mother, I didn't tell my father, my sisters, my brothers, my teachers. Dr. King wrote me back and sent me a round trip mm. Greyhound bus ticket and invited me to come to Montgomery to meet with him. In 1961, as a participant in the sit-ins of 1959 and 1960, I received a invitation from CORE to Congress of Racial Equality to participate in the Freedom Rise in 1961. In 1961, the same year that President Barack Obama was born, black people and white people could be seated on a bus. We got off the bus and we started into a so-called white waiting room. We were beaten by members of the Klan. They beat us. They left us lying in a pool of blood. The local police officials came up, wanted to know whether we wanted to press charges. We said, no, we come in peace. We believe in the way of love. We believe in the philosophy and the discipline of nonviolence. He's irreplaceable. He's the one of the most, I think he might be the most charming person that was ever in Congress in our lifetime. <laughs> and there's no question about and, that. And he's, the, the idea that he, that he held his heroism so lightly, that he'd been beaten 
that he'd been left unconscious, that he'd been jailed, that he was even he was even arrested a few years ago. Oh, he was jailed four times after he, he was, was still protesting yeah. in his seventies. The man never let up, and he danced in Congress yeah. on the floor. Um, he danced in his office and was a gentle, generous spirit to was, everyone that he seemed to meet. Uh, just. A, a beautiful person who lost his wife, uh, but and said that he it was difficult for him to uh, celebrate uh, the holidays. Right, and and we don't think about that. That 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 man had to carry on despite mm. all of these things that he had to deal with is so intense it's just and made it seem light i mean like ct vivian his family said how funny he was mm. and that was someone that was protesting from 1947 oh, and yes. just left us friday no they're all very inspirational and that's why we have to look forward to the future that's why we have to gather together that's why we have to register to vote go to vote.org well, that's why we, we have, have to, to never stop the, never mind a statue or a bridge being named after John Lewis. Let's get the Voting Rights Act yes, reinstated. That is the, the most important thing. And the way to do it is to elect Joe Biden. Vote. Like like John Lewis fought for. Vote. See, like C.T. Like Vivian fought Whoa, for. Whoa, I have to stop. What? Yes. Because. Yes, sorry. But I mean, voting. Is more is. important than anything. Uh, too many people did too much so that we could vote. Fannie Lou Hamer. John Lewis. And John Lewis talked about this song meaning a lot to him. Brooke Benton and Dinah Washington. You've been the smartest crowd in the world. Jennifer's been the smartest woman in the world. I have been whatever I have been. May every page you turn be a satchel page. May every bell that rings for you be a cool papa bell. And if you have to buy bonds, 